So um, my story might be a little bit different than yours. For those that have been coming for a little bit, probably, probably understand my background. For those that don't, here's a quick recap. I, I got saved in prison in 2006. I was a drug addict, a junkie. I d literally destroyed everything in my entire life and everybody else that came into my life. But after I got saved, I didn't know what to do. All I knew is I didn't want to be a junkie anymore and I didn't want to be a criminal. And I just got saved, so I was being introduced to the scriptures. Um, somebody shared I should go to this long-term discipleship program in Chester, and I did. I had really nowhere else to go. I was homeless, so the choice was homelessness or go and get help. So it was kind of a fairly easy choice for me. But when I arrived in this program, uh, our leaders and counselors really challenged me to get mentors, to get people that were going to sow into my life. And I had a chance to sit around and watch people, and there was four people early on in my life that I asked to join me. Charles Knuckles. Pastor John Swenson, who was the pastor at Bethlehem United Methodist for a long time, Pastor Mark Leofert, and Dr. Rick Briggs. And with these men, I would meet uh, weekly, sometimes daily, for accountability, discipleship, recovery. They would teach me, but they would also counsel me in my life choices and, you know, get a chance to listen what was going on in my life. They would always sit me down and challenge me every time we meet to be a follower of Jesus, what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. And they had a chance to explain verses like uh, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 that were saved by grace through faith. It's not of works. But they would also share that the rest of my walk with God was going to take work, sacrifice, and dedication. That it was going to be a lifetime journey. And um, Charles uh, Knuckles, who mentored me, led a Bible study on Sunday nights that I was going to. And eventually Charles got a job in San Jose and he told me I was going to be leading the Bible study and I wasn't ready for that. Pastor Mark took us out onto the streets of 69th Street to share the gospel with people and pass out tracts. We did that in 69th Street and also in Philly. I was sharing my faith regularly. I definitely wasn't ready for that. Pastor John Swenson had us in the evenings doing classes on theology and I was definitely not ready for that. I failed most of my English classes. This was, mo this was definitely new to me. They also taught us how to practically apply the scriptures. Dr. Rick Briggs would challenge us regularly to memorize the word of God, hold us accountable each week for everything we went through. And I'll never forget, Rick had a Thursday class that, uh, that we went through every week. And one morning he shared these words in John 14, 15 that, that changed my life. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Jesus spoke these words, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I was completely floored. I was challenged and I was moved right away. And what I heard in my mind was, if you love me, obey me. As if God spelled L-O-V-E, O-B-E-Y. And God doesn't really desire people to be drones and to have millions of followers just following him aimlessly. It's really out of this unconditional love, this agape love that, that that he's saying, have a strong reverence for me. And out of this love comes a complete understanding how Jesus cleansed our sin by taking the penalty upon himself on a cross. And for all who believes, it starts a journey of being a follower of Jesus Christ. But the message was clear for me that day was to go all in and to be all in for Jesus. On the streets, we would have a saying, don't talk about it, be about it, right? And it was saying, the saying to me was, are you all in? Now, I noticed something. We as people are really good about talking about things, right? 
And someone once said, when all is said and done, there's more said than actually done, right? Has anybody heard that? The idea is we're really cool with sharing ideas and understanding things, but we really don't apply things. It's like we just kind of talk about stuff. I remember hearing this story about a dad asking his daughter to clean his room, and moms too. I'm sure we're all in the same boat at some point. Uh, dad goes by and says, hey, listen, uh, we really need you to clean your room. So after a few hours, his daughter comes down. He's like, hey, uh, so what's going on? She's like, well, Dad, I took your advice, and I started to do a little bit of research of what it means to clean my room. I actually read a book about it, and then I looked up in the Hebrew and Greek what it meant to clean my room. So I talked with my friends, and, and we're going to go take a class on it, and then there's a conference in a few weeks that we're going to attend on cleaning our room. And by the way, there's a Bible study tonight, and we're going to talk about cleaning our rooms. And the dad's kind of puzzled, and he looks around and goes, huh, but you still actually didn't clean your room yet. And I think that applies not only to me and my life, but everybody's life around it when we look about walking in our faith. We share a bunch of cool ideas, but sometimes they just kind of stay there. I was at a conference this year, and the pastor said, stop going to Bible studies and actually go out and share the love of Jesus with other people. Now, he was making a point, don't actually stop going to Bible studies. So my personal passion today is to really help individuals, families, and communities become transformed. And the process that God called me through is discipleship. We started something called the Greenhouse Project in Chester, and we're focused on long-term transformation, and we absolutely are 100% sold out that through the Word of God, any life can become radically transformed. But I've had a chance to witness hundreds and possibly thousands of people go through this process at the same time. And if we just look at a little snapshot of the team like Water is Basic, they're a team of people that got together with a bigger vision and then actually did what they were being called to do and end up raising $7,500. The motto, gave, the motto that God gave us for our ministry in Chester is the life, life is discipleship and discipleship is life. And it's how my life was transformed and it's how the people that disciple me and my mentors that sow into me challenge me to live every single day. And to, and to be really truthful, I wouldn't have it any other way. Our journey as born-again believers, followers of Jesus Christ, really does cost everything. And Jesus promises us abundant life here and now for those that are his followers. But sometimes I really think it's kind of hard getting started. Um, and it, anything really starts with an assessment. So the idea is, has anybody here really taken maybe a half a day or an hour or even 15 minutes to honestly assess where you're at spiritually? Uh, the idea is, am I looking back at myself daily or having this daily reflection, um, am I really going in for the kingdom of God? I, wanted to, I want to ask myself daily, are we actually valuing living for Jesus above all things? And the next question is, do I really want to see my life changed? Jesus, in, in the scriptures, had some really tough sayings. And churches have watered these things down over the years. And some may just believe Jesus as kind of like this warm, fuzzy healer, this kind of guy that did a bunch of cool stuff. But we also tend to forget about the Jesus that speaks some really, really hard truths that would silence a crowd and make even the most devout follower rethink everything they knew about God. And let's face it, 2,000 years later, still till today, some of the things that Jesus said are still radical and are still blowing people's minds. 2,000 years, the word is alive and well, my friends. He would say things like, like we just shared, if you love me, you'll obey me. If you want to find your life, you have to lose it. He said, the greatest amongst you in the kingdom of God is those that serve. He'd say, love your enemies. If somebody strikes you, 
turn the other cheek and give that to him as well. Yeah, that's some hard stuff, right? If somebody hits me, the first thing I want to do is run away. The greatest gift, he would say, is to lay down your life for your friends. And then he said something that completely scattered the crowds. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you cannot be my disciple. Now, when I hear stuff like this, the automatically, think, the automatically my brain goes, what is this crazy guy even talking about? Jesus lays out how he was living, how he was called to live, and he was saying, I want you guys to do the same. This process, and what we're going to talk about today, is called discipleship. It's completely centered on Jesus and following him, meaning being a disciple above everything else. So what actually is a disciple, or what is discipleship? A disciple is a learner, a pupil, follower, or student. But it's more than that. It's one who attaches himself to a teacher to, or, to a master, or to master a specific trade. I think the closest word we have for this today is the word apprentice. Uh, maybe some would say influencer. And that word disciple is used 246 times in the four Gospels and in the book of Acts. Pretty important, right? A disciple is one who follows another for the purpose of learning, applying, and teaching others. And the best simple definition we all have of this is spiritual parenting. Francis Chan in his book Multiply says, it's impossible to be a disciple or a follower of someone and not end up like that person. It's completely impossible. Jesus said, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Pretty cool. That's the point of being a disciple of Jesus. We imitate him, we carry on his ministry, and we become like him in the process. A disciple of Jesus follows all of his commands. Now, salvation is the beginning of this process. Uh, coming and crying out to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, recognizing my own sin has separated me from God. And the only bridge to be back in relationship with God is believing on Jesus because he laid down his own life, purchased us, uh, purchased us with his own life, and rose again on the third day. Um, but it's just the entryway, kind of just like the beginning. And if you're not a believer today and you don't know Jesus, we'd love to talk with you more after service. But again, salvation is just the beginning of the journey, and the rest is being conformed unto the image of Jesus Christ. In Romans 8.29, Paul writes this, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So we call this the process of sanctification. It's the process of being made holy. It happens instantaneously when somebody accepts Jesus as their Lord and Savior, but it's also a dual, it has a dual purpose. It takes a lifetime to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And it's a lifetime journey we all take with him. So the question is, what's the difference between salvation and discipleship? And some would say there's a distinct difference. I would say a better way to say it is that salvation is the beginning just like the engagement is actually the start of the marriage. And then there's a ceremony, and then you have the rest of your life. The engagement is the beginning of a journey with Jesus Christ. Discipleship is actually the daily investment, just like there's a daily investment for those of us that are married or invested in any other relationship. It's daily, meaning we are to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ, not being conformed into everything I want to do in life. And there's a cost to this. 
There's not a cost in accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior and coming into the kingdom of God. He fully did the rest of that work. But there's a cost for following him. Discipleship is real serious business, and it's not meant to be taken lightly. There's a cost. And churches have done a a, a real bad job of this, I believe, and watering this down over the years. We're going to read today from Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 25 for those that have the scriptures. He says this, Now a great multitude went with him, and he turned and he said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his mother, his father, his wife, and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Second time. For which of you intend to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest when he's laid down the foundation and not be able to finish, all who see him will be able to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to war does, against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? <clears> or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegate and asks the conditions of peace. So likewise, what of you, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for land nor for the dunghill, but men will throw it out. He who has ears, let him hear. Right after this, there's no page breaks ever in scripture. It's for our benefit. Then all tax collectors and sinners drew near to him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Really, really important. Those uh, first two verses in the message reads like this. One day when large groups of people were walking with him, Jesus turned around and told them, anyone who comes to me but refuses to let go of father, mother, spouse, children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, can't be my disciple. Anyone who won't shoulder his own cross and follow behind me can't be my disciple. And these are some very, very hard sayings of Jesus. It's easy to read this and maybe just skip over or to draw um, a simple conclusion. But this would have absolutely shocked the followers of Jesus, just like it may have shocked some of us today Those read those words. It still shocks me to read these words. Um, but it's, it was really meant to grab everybody's attention. And that's kind of the part, part of the purpose. Jesus is, it has a crowd of people following him. He's like, hey, do I have your attention yet? Jesus also knows the intention, hearts, and minds of everybody that was following him. Sometimes we follow Jesus because we understand he's a cool healer or he brought everybody food. He, he would heal and, and, and love and minister to everybody in entire towns. Maybe some of the people would look at these disciples and you're saying, Really? Those people are the followers of Jesus? I could probably do a better job than that. So Jesus gets a chance to weed through all of this and to lay out a blanket statement of what it's going to take the cost for following Jesus. One of the questions I ask right away is, should I actually hate my family? Now, maybe some of us have some frustrations with your family today, but that's not the purpose. If we actually look at it, Jesus isn't really saying to hate anyone. After all, we have the commandment, right? Love your neighbor. Uh, We're supposed to honor our mother and our father uh, in Deuteronomy. And this word, by extension, really means to love less. 
The idea is to really love and to put Jesus and commit to serving him no matter what. And sometimes we get this backwards. Sometimes I think, wow, i got to love Jesus. That means I'm not going to talk to anybody in my family or minister to anybody. No, everything out of my relationship with somebody else comes out of loving Jesus and having that intimate relationship with him one-on-one. Sometimes we kind of get it twisted a little bit. But meaning we have to completely give ourselves over to him, just like that song we sung today, Make Me a Vessel, God. Make Me an Offering. And I wonder what the crowds were thinking when they heard this. Jesus is brutally clear about the cost of following him. See, as a devoted disciple or an influencer, it was not really meant to be cool or to be the in guy. It was meant to change the world and bring the kingdom of God here and now that we can experience abundant life with him. The process of following as a disciple was meant to literally change the world. It was meant to change you, your family, your community, my life, and go out and change other broken people that don't know Jesus. But he lays out some costs, and here's some other costs laid out in Scripture. Love your own life, not until the end. He says, you will be hated for my name's sake. He said, you'll be persecuted and suffered for the name of the gospel. Praise God that we live in, a, in an amazing country where we have the freedoms to do this. He also talks about carrying your cross daily, and he says this word that seems to be a dirty word in today's society, obedience. We have to obey. In verse 27 in chapter 14, he says, whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. The cross, we get to wear it on our necks today, but the cross is really an instrument of capital punishment. It really means being exposed to death. On going up to a town, Roman towns, they would line the side of the roads with crosses and people being crucified, and everybody knew as they walked up to that town, they better keep in line and submit completely unto Rome or they were going to end up on the cross. The atonement of Christ happened because he went to the cross. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in The Cost of Discipleship, Dietrich was an amazing man of God, uh, went back to uh, Germany during World War II to really lay down his life and continue to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. The disciple must say to himself the same words Peter said of Christ when he denied him. I know not this man. Self-denial is never just a series of isolated acts of mortification or asceticism. It's not suicide, for there is, a, there is an element of self-will even in that. To deny oneself is to be aware only of Christ and no more of self. To see only him who goes before and no more the road which is too hard for us. Once more, all that self-denial can say is, he leads the way, keep close to him. And that's great news. For we are called to make Jesus our number one priority and understand what the expectation is. Our Savior paved the way with his own death on a cross, despised and shamed. He wants everyone to know what's going to be coming next as he's marching his way in Luke 14 unto Jerusalem where he would ultimately give his own life. Carrying the cross means to daily identify with Christ's shame, suffering, and surrender to God's own will. It means death to self, by pers- my personal agenda, my plans, my ambition, and my willingness to do life. Jesus really lays out three parables of the seriousness of being a disciple. We'll start with the man building a tower. And discipleship requires building and counting the cost of the entire project. 
And I want to say this from the beginning. An unfinished life is a more tragic spectacle than a cement foundation without a building. This really represents a life, a person. And anybody knows going into a building project, you need to assess. It starts with the assessment of the project. It starts with building and gathering materials and higher labor and time and money. And there's a purpose behind what they're able to build. One must really be able to calculate the entire cost plus the upkeep and the operations of this building. It's something really not to be made in haste. One must be methodical and consider all the facts before proceeding. If not, it involves a bad choice which would lead the building not to be built. Not to be built. In this context, there was community shame inside that. And that affected your business, your stature, your family, your finances, and your safety. Starting to build without thinking about it isn't a wise decision. Jesus says, such a person thinking about following me who does not count the cost cannot be my disciple. He looks at a king going to fight a battle. Discipleship requires war. War requires plans, money, purpose, and it's usually done to, for protection or for gain. And anything can happen in war at any time. One may think they have the upper hand and things could radically shift. One can win spoils and lose everything and there's many discussions, but this is definitely not a decision to be made in haste. It's not meant to be made out of anger or made out of frustration or made because it's the cool thing that everybody's doing today. This is a decision that takes a lot of time and requires having the will of God to do it. We must be willing to give everything to Jesus, not that he's calling us to be without, but to understand that all that we have is his. One person wrote in a commentary I read that the first, uh, the first parable said there's a choice in building, and the second one kind of talks about the effects if we don't follow through. Meaning, at one day and one point in time, every single person is going to have to give an account to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And they will be sifted for those who believe and those don't believe. He also shares about salt losing its flavor. Well, now, that's kind of ridiculous, right? Salt can't lose its flavor. And that kind of talks about the Christian, right? You couldn't be something, you couldn't say you're something and not actually be it. But discipleship requires seasoning and flavor, and the great thing about salt is it has great properties. You need it to live. It also can help preserve food, so you would be able to live long times in areas that there has no food. But salt really draws out flavor, and uh, it breaks down tendons and meat and, and, and makes things uh, more tender and more flavorful. If salt didn't have its salt, saltiness, it's absolutely good for nothing. And we are meant to have purpose here on earth as followers of Jesus. Jesus said we're the salt of the earth. The goal is really to add and draw out in other people. So what did this all cost Jesus? 1 Corinthians 6, verse 20 says, And you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. See, Jesus took the penalty of sin on himself dying on a cross despised and rejected, and he will cry out even on that cross, Father, forgive them, for they knew not what they do. This cost Jesus everything to bring us into relationship for him. And it's easy to ask, 
what happens if I follow Jesus? Does like, that kind of make me the fun please? And I think we really have, need to have a change of mind uh, and repent our ways and turn to him when we realize that everything about being a disciple comes out of that intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. If we have that intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, we should really want to take the next steps in knowing him. But there's some obstacles that we face today. I, I picked up a book uh, from the Barna Group, uh, which really does a lot of analysis and statistics inside the Christian world, and they partnered with the Navigators in 2015 to release a book called The State of Discipleship. And according to the Barna Group, most people in, in Christian churches today, about 60%, believe that churches are doing a good job of feeding people. Now, I believe what we're doing here at Calvary Chapel is, is the anomaly. We heavily focus on teaching the Word of God. But 1% of church leaders across the board said that we're doing a really bad job in disciplining, I mean, discipling or bringing new believers into the kingdom of God. And there was a few things that caught me off guard, so I put some statistics up today. 66%, we'll get to the ones in a second, 66% of Christians agree that the highest goal in life is to enjoy it as much as possible. That's what 66% of Christians believe is their life purpose, is to live life as much as possible. 70%, 76% of practicing Christians believe that the best way to find yourself is to look inside yourself. And here's the obstacles that are up on the screen. 23% of practicing Christians say busyness is the number one major challenge. 16% says it takes a lot of work to be a follower of Jesus. When it comes to motivation, 64 people said they were comfortable where they were at spiritually. 24% said they didn't see the benefit in trying to make progress in their own spiritual life. And here's some reasons why Christians are maybe not being discipled right now. 29% haven't thought about it. 23% said that they didn't need it. And 15% said no one suggested it. And here's the reasons why Christians say they're not discipling other people. 28% said they're not qualified. 22% said they haven't even thought about it. And 23% said no one asked them. At the end of the day, everybody that calls on Jesus as their Lord and Savior is qualified. Not because of you, not because of things you think you may have done that week, but because of the saving grace that our Lord and Savior did, upon a, did on the cross. Every single one of us is qualified as a gospel and a minister of Jesus Christ. And I love that because he called every single one who comes and cries out to him a royal, holy priesthood. That's all of us. Praise God for that. Francis Chan, in, in his book Multiply, said this, which I thought was quite disturbing. He said, yet somehow many have come to believe that a person can be a Christian without being like Christ, a follower who doesn't follow. And how does that make any sense? Many people in the church have decided to take on the name of Christ and nothing else. This would be like Jesus walking up to those first disciples and saying, hey, would you guys mind identifying yourself with me in some way? Don't worry, I don't actually care if you do anything or, or I do or change your lifestyle at all. I'm just looking for people who are willing to say they believe, believe in me and call themselves a Christian. You know, that kind of rattled my cage a little bit. I said, wow, where am I really walking? How am I really walking with Jesus? So what does a disciple actually do? Well, it's a lifestyle. 
I had a chance, to, a privilege to do a wedding yesterday, and I shared this with the groom and the bride ahead of time. Guys, this moment that we have right here and right now is the only moment we're ever going to have in our entire life. Really, the moment is the best it's ever going to be. Now, we're going to go through good seasons and bad seasons in life, and things are going to be challenging, but we only ever have the here and now where I can make a decision and I can make a choice and really go all in for the Lord. In Luke 19, 23, he said to them, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and pick up his cross daily. Daily, I want to highlight that. It's a daily, it's a daily follow of Jesus. Dedicated to prayer and fellowship and the breaking of bread and the apostles' doctrine is listed in Acts 2.42 as what it means to be a disciple. Being a disciple means to make disciples and to be obedient to Jesus and his word. And here's the thing. It's much more than a Sunday gathering, guys. I want to highlight that. It's much more than a Sunday, Sunday gathering. Please do not count your Christian win for the week as coming on a Sunday. It's very important. We shouldn't forsake the gathering. It is something that's important. But we shouldn't count the win as just coming out on Sunday. And first of all, I want to get rid of a saying. Can you guys help me with that this morning? No one here goes to church. Can I tell you why? Because you are the church. You can't go away from yourself. Wherever you are, you take the church with you. If you're driving in your car, yeah, you're a Christian. If you're in the boardroom, you are the church. If two or more gather, it's the church wherever you go. And when I think we should start to count our wins a little bit different. It's hard to count wins these days. Maybe we should count the wins on how many times we share the gospel, how many times we meet in fellowship for discipleship, how many hours or minutes we have in prayer we should count at the wins, how we actually serve one another, how we really help those in need, how much time we spend with family, how much time we actually become being honest. These are wins we do every day in the boardroom um, or, or at any job that we live. Being kind when we drive, that should be a big win. Yes, I was kind to people when I drove this week. <laughs> many times, how many times we love people. The weekly gathering on Sundays is the celebration of everything we've walked through with Jesus for the entire week. It's also a place to come for solace, for peace, for connection with other people. Incredibly important but we can have a mind shift on how we count our wins as believers. Francis Chan said, making disciples is all about seeing people transformed by the power of God's word. And I don't know about you, but I want to be transformed by the power of God's word. I don't want to continue to be the same guy I am every single day. If you want to see this happen in others, you need to experience transformation in yourself. And when people hear these hard sayings of Jesus that we talked about, we're faced with the cost that, that it could be very, very difficult to follow Jesus. The idea is, who's able to do this? Like, you have to be a superman to live up to this expectation, or maybe that's only for, for the pastors, or it's only for the clergy. But the idea is, this is for every single one of us. Every single one of us is the supermen, the superheroes, of being followers of Jesus Christ. And I want to highlight something in the Great Commission today in Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. 16 says, The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of this age. He says, I am always with you to the very end of this age. Jesus points out that all power everywhere has been given unto him, and he promises to be with us always wherever we go. See, once we get saved, the empowerment comes from having the Holy Spirit filled inside of us. We don't need to manufacture, but we do need to make a willing choice to submit unto Christ and follow through with his word, no matter what the cost is. The promised Holy Spirit becomes our counselor as Jesus empowers us to live. And one way to go all in and to activate your faith is to practice spiritual disciplines. And here's two books I would recommend right away. If you talk to me later, I actually have six books I would recommend right away. But these are two that I always keep on my shelf and talk about regularly. Uh, the first one is The Spirits of Discipline by Dallas Willard. Literally anything Dallas Willard wrote, buy it and read it. But this is probably one of the best ones I've read on discipleship. The second is Transformational Discipleship by Stephen Lutz. And uh, I put together this slide of some of the disciplines that's written out in Stephen Lutz's books, if we can throw it up next. Uh, these are some spiritual disciplines that are written out. Now, you probably won't be able to write them all down right now. If you want to contact me later, I'll make sure I'll send this over to you. But it has everything from the discipline of discovering Jesus and rediscovering him. Sometimes in our walk, in the beginning, it's really fun and exciting, just like a new relationship. There's like this honeymoon phase. But there's this rediscovery, just like you rediscover your spouse or your kids, who they are. There's this rediscovery of who Jesus is day in and day out. He talks through abiding in Christ, what it means to actually be in Christ, all the way through to the discipline of witnessing and making disciples, which every one of us is qualified to do if we have a Bible. So, I guess what I would ask at this point is, how would I actually start? Because I'm sure there's people here saying, man, this is a lot of information, John. Um, where do I start? What, what do we do with all this? It always starts with taking an honest assessment. Being able to sit back and to think through maybe where you're at right now, where you would like to be, what does scripture say. It takes an honest assessment being able to sit back and to think through all this stuff. And I would say if there's one thing you could do before leaving today is write an obedience statement. One thing that you're going to do and then actually ask somebody to hold you accountable to it. My mentors did, me, did this with me every time we meet early on in my walk. And they still do it today. What's your obedience statement? I'm going to say, well, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z this week. The first thing they would do when we met last, the following week is, did you actually do the thing that you said you would do? And then if I didn't, we would do the same process again and then move on to the next thing. So if you could, please, on a notebook, you could pull out your phones, write one obedience statement before you leave this sanctuary today. Another place to start is in prayer. And one of the things I learned, uh, love about technology today is everybody here probably has a smartphone. And you probably have this thing called a calendar on there where you probably put all of your events. It's probably mostly work stuff or when you're going to meet somebody for dinner, maybe the important things. But uh, a mentor of mine recently challenged me. He said, listen, how much time do you spend in prayer? And he goes, do you want to pray more? And I said, yeah, I'd love to be able to put more time in prayer. He goes, well, put it on your phone right now and schedule it for tomorrow. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, no, you can actually schedule it and put it on your phone tomorrow. 
And then it goes off when you try to get up at 5.30 tomorrow, before you hit the snooze button, actually get up and pray for 15 or 20 minutes. You want to increase your prayer life? Put it on your schedule today. And it will pop up every single day. And eventually, you're going to have to do it or, you know, cancel the reminder. <laughs> but one place to start is with prayer. Pick out your phone, schedule it. If you're already doing that, put on a time in your schedule when you're going to do your Bible reading. We should fill in our schedule with everything we're going to do spiritually. And out of that, I tell you, everything changes in your life. If you're already doing your Bible reading, that's great. Join a small group. I know the small group pastor. He's way cool. You guys should talk to him. He'll help you get plugged in. If you didn't get the joke, that's me. Um, Join a, join a small group. Join a discipleship group. Next week, I have five new guys starting a discipleship relationship with me on Tuesday nights. We have Pastor Mike Montgomery and, and a group of women that are leading smaller discipleship groups to actually practice the disciplines. We're getting behind this. We are on fire to, to, to be discipled and to disciple other people here. If you're already doing that, ask someone else to specifically disciple you one-on-one. -on -one. And if you're already doing that, ask somebody else to be your disciple. Not that you're the master discipler. Jesus is always a discipler. So, I want everybody to understand something. We are all not working for God. We really have this privilege to work with him, to walk, walk side by side with God, to work side by side with God. And it's not by might. It's always going to be by his power. And here's one point I would like to leave everybody with, and it seems rather simple, but it's a great statement, something that I was taught early on in recovery. And it says this, you cannot keep it unless you give it away. Your faith, you can't keep it unless you give it away. This is why faith is so costly. Unless you're using it, it's kind of hard to know if you have it already. And to have it, you must be actively using it and giving it away. I want to challenge everybody before we leave today to go all in with a life of following Jesus Christ. Let's quit holding back. Let's quit holding out. The gospel really costs nothing, but it demands everything. It's almost like it's an all or nothing choice. Jesus didn't die just to keep you safe. He really died to make everybody dangerous to go back and to affect the world. And by using your faith in Jesus Christ, it should really change your life. And that effect changes your world and changes your friends and it infects those that are the closest to you. And if you shared your faith, that would really influence your neighbors and your family and that would change your street and your town and your city and the whole country and the whole world would become radically transformed if we really went in all in for serving Jesus. When all that's said and done, we see the kingdom of God here and now. And that's what I think we're all striving to see. To be an all-in follower of Jesus today, make a commitment to follow him, do everything Jesus has told you to do, and give it away to other people. That's my charge when I wake up every day, and I want to ask every single one of you, would you join with us in expanding the kingdom of God? What a privilege it is to serve him. I pray that he makes us all a vessel a new vessel, understanding that the crushing of the new wine is going to extract a new life for Jesus Christ.